It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you for joining me this February morning, wherever you're listening, whether you're listening in Canada, down in the Gulf of Mexico, or goodness sakes, there's a lot of ice in the southeast, and I know we have a pretty big following there as well. My guest this morning is an individual who's been on the air before. He is, frankly, the leading media expert on the outdoors, uh, a contributor to Forbes, Chris Dorsey of Denver, Colorado, who has contributed enormously to the dialogue of conservation and hunting and fishing and, and the role that, that the sporting industry has played in advancing conservation causes worldwide. And he also is the executive producer of this highly acclaimed IMAX movie, which we're going to talk about, Wings Over Water. Chris, thank you for joining me this morning. And I have to ask sure. you, the last piece you wrote in Forbes about Africa and what English, what the Parliament in Great Britain is trying to do had me think that we ought to get on the air to talk about, frankly, some of the most bizarre uh, political initiatives to, to hurt conservation at a time when the world is focused on so many other things. So we're going to end up in mm. Colorado, which I guess is following the suit of the Parliament in, in Great Britain, but You've spent, I think you've been to Africa, well, you've been to Africa more than anybody I know. I've lost track of how many times you and I had the pleasure of being there together. Uh, what is going on in, in England, and why is this a threat to, frankly, wildlife management across Africa? Well, Charlie, always good to be with you. The uh, Yeah, the story is really kind of uh, uh, amazing and appalling at the same time, but essentially what's going on now is, there's a bill before the parliament in the UK to ban the importation of, I think it's now up to a, a thousand different species of animals. So basically ending international hunting whatsoever. And, and the problem with that on the surface is, is to the average person of the UK, the average person around the world, that might seem like a good conservation move that somehow this is going to save elephants. It's going to save rhinos from being poached, et cetera. But quite frankly, it's going to have just the opposite impact. And, and there's been now, I think, about 100 different of the leading scientists in the world from the UK and, and other sources. I think 50 are at the doctorate level and several from Oxford University that have, have looked at this kind of 360 and said, this is a disaster. You know, the worst thing you could do is stop the international hunters from going to Africa, in this case, and, and hunting, spending money, creating an economic incentive to keep those species around if they, if you don't do that if, if there is no value to the wildlife in Africa what happens is they get snared they get shot they get poisoned and uh, and they're taken off the land and we've seen that many many times in Africa when they've tried hunting bands in the past kind of most famously in 1973 dr. Richard leakey in Kenya stopped all elephant hunting in in Kenya and he celebrated that by burning ivory stocks and all the media outlets around the world were there to film it, broadcast from London to New York and all points in between. And, of course, the consequences of that were there were no hunters on ground, there were no funds for any poaching teams. So what happened was the poachers moved in en masse 
and slaughtered and just annihilated the elephant herds across Kenya in a short amount of time. They went from 275,000 elephants to 20,000 in just a short span of time. So, you know, the, the law of unintended consequences typically is what, what happens when, when sort of uh, emotional, well-intentioned people pass really stupid laws. And that's, what, uh, that's what's facing the U.K. right now in the parliament. And I think we're going to have that vote sometime in March. Well, you could, you could take what you just said and apply it to a number of things in today's world, but we're talking in this case about, mm-hmm. about conservation. And, 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 and Chris, I have to ask you, you, you've been to Africa so many times. If, if in fact, they were, if the UK is successful and Parliament passes this, um, how quickly do you think this would spread to the point of view that we would just see a colossal decline in big cane populations uh, coming out of Africa, maybe maybe even around the world? I mean, isn't this kind of like the domino that, that, that could just really hurt big game conservation? And then I'm going to talk a little about China and what happens when, when these things take place and China comes in, uh, you know, really fills the void, but fills it by backing poaching and illicit activities. Yeah, I mean, I've been traveling to Africa for about 30 years now. I think I've been there close to 50 times. And and it's amazing in the duration that I've been traveling there to see the Chinese influence across Africa. And and again, they're consuming vast amounts of resources and and wildlife being one of them. But what happens if if the U.K. ban were to spread, say, to the United States, um, and and then there, there really is no international hunting happening, there is no financial incentive anymore, to, to have any poaching teams and operators on ground throughout Africa. What happens then is the Southeast Asian syndicates move in. They slaughter the animals in mass. There's always a market in Asia for every illicit animal part from, you know, from rhino and, and uh, elephant ivory to gorilla hands and tiger claws and, and bear gallbladders and pangolins, etc. I mean, it's just almost no end to the insatiable appetite for bizarre and gruesome animal parts going into Southeast Asia. So that, that really opens the door, and I read about this in, in the Forbes piece, the economic impact would be if, if you create a, a vacuum, an economic vacuum in Africa, the Chinese are always there, always there to fill that void. And that's exactly what's going on in places where they've, they've stopped hunting. And, and interestingly, the, the countries that have well-regulated hunting have the highest populations of almost all species, including elephants. So, I mean, the, the, the facts are clear. The facts are obvious. And so if, if you can look at the people, the, the animal rights people, or even the people in between, the people that really don't have an opinion, simply are, are ignorant on the issue and say, look, can we just agree that we both want more wildlife? If we can get that far, then tell me what your solution is, animal rights activists, to have more animals. And I'll tell you what mine is. The difference is mine has worked. Hunting and conservation, one of the same has worked throughout Africa for a long, long time. On the other hand, you know, stopping hunting has not worked. It's had a, had a backfire reaction to, to the reality on ground. And, and I think it's just time that we tell that story. We have to tell that story across the globe and, and put these people back in a box because they just don't make any sense. Well, it makes me think of uh, the Safari, Safari Club International, a very, very esteemed group which has led, well, for as long as I can remember, has led the discussion you're talking about, and has provided so much economic resource to, to Africa, 
to enable big game populations to continue. And when you and I were in Africa pre-COVID a few years ago, I mean, we saw firsthand the results of of when communities are supported by 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 the sporting community. They provide the economic resources that protect the animals. And and I guess a friend of mine said it best. In order for all of these animals to live, a few are not going to. But it enables all of them to live versus this approach of we stop all mm-hmm. hunting and, 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 and everything will be fine. And, and I just before we go to the break, you touched on China. And, and I don't think that people really understand, Chris, the, the extent to which poaching moves in and people are bribed once there is no economic reason to have animals uh, protected. I don't think they understand that. Worldwide, they don't understand. How do we tell the story? Well, they, they certainly don't understand that. And I think something that, that SCI has very smartly focused on is, is let's ask the people that live among the animals what they think and, and the future that they see to live with these animals, to benefit from those animals and from hunting, the revenue, the meat, et cetera. And, and that's exactly what's been missing from the, the animal rights campaigns in the U.K. and elsewhere is they're not talking to the locals. And at the end of the day, Without buy-in from the locals, there is no sustainable future for wildlife. There just isn't. And, and I, think, I think Safari Club is very smartly taking a leadership role to say, let's talk to the people that live with the animals and find a solution with them to go forward. And that really is the only sustainable way to, to move forward. So I give them a lot of, a lot of credit for that. Well, I do too. And I guess, I guess I could be cynical, having done this for a long time. Uh, the individuals on the ground are seldom asked what they think or what their mm-hmm. solutions are. Rather, we come up with, with solutions from people who've, who don't know a potted plant, you know, from a rhinoceros, but who want to protect the world. And, and, I, and it's a little cynical to say that, but we see it time and time again. And as you so well point out, that's exactly what's going on in Great Britain today. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's been uh, kind of shocking to see the, the disregard that the Brits and, and the animal rights groups in Britain have had for the, uh, the locals in Africa. I mean, it's just, can you imagine the Africans telling the, the prime minister how to run his affairs in, in London and, uh, and the reaction that you would get in, in uh, Downing Street, et cetera? So, yeah. Well, this is a subject that's really serious, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I'm going to ask you, Chris, about something that's happening in Colorado, which seems to be, you know, it's not on the level, but certainly a mirror image of, of well-intentioned but absolutely foolish policy. And then I'd love to talk to you about the IMAX film you're the executive producer of, Wings Over Water. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. We are visiting with Chris Dorsey. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology. Tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. 
Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And our guest this morning is Chris Dorsey, who if you're just joining us, he arguably is the world's top communicator on conservation and, and natural resource issues, having created literally at this point probably some hundred television series on the outdoors. He also is a contributor to Forbes. And we've been talking about Africa, but Chris, I'm going to move you from Africa to Colorado, uh, where we were talking about uh, United Kingdom and some of the laws they were trying to pass to stop the importation of, of animals, which would have just a profound impact on Africa. And no sooner do I read that than I read your writing about Colorado trying to stop mountain lion and bobcat hunting. Uh, Colorado... You know, you think about Colorado and you think of the free West and you think of the sagebrush, you know, rebellion and Ronald Reagan and all those things. What has happened? <laughs> yeah, we don't have enough time to cover all that for sure. Yeah, look, I mean, Colorado is, is an amazing state. It's a, it's the resources are spectacular. I would argue one of the top outdoor states in, in uh, the United States. And, and it's just really sad to see kind of what's going on with ballot box biology out here. And uh, the, the poor state agency, which is an excellent state agency, Colorado, really by any measure, if you know what you're talking about, has a terrific state uh, parks and wildlife agency. And, and by charter, by mandate, they are, uh, they are given the responsibility to manage wildlife resources in the state of Colorado for the greater good of the population. So what, what's happened? Now you have people coming in from outside the state of Colorado using the legislative process, not the scientific process, not the, the wildlife commission, et cetera, circumventing that, going to ballot, ballot box initiatives and things like that to get laws passed. Most recently, wolves introduced into Colorado, and now they want to ban mountain lion hunting and, and bobcat hunting and trapping as well. And, and again, this is a state that's full of cats. I mean, the, the cat population is flourishing you know, and, and not in spite of hunting, but because of hunting. And, and so for these groups to come in and, and now try to manage this, and part of this is, you know, our governor's husband, um, partner, is, is a huge animal rights activist. He's, he's on record as being very supportive and sympathetic to animal rights causes. He's a vegan. Um, he, had, he, he convinced the governor to, to create a meat-out day here in Colorado the fourth largest producer of, of exporter of beef in the United States and, uh, and put the, you know, the Western livestock show at risk in Denver, which is $120 million a year event. And uh, so it, it's sort of crazyville. And I think what you're seeing now in Colorado is people have kind of had enough there. You're starting to see pushback. You're starting to see enough groups in Colorado be disenfranchised by this governor and his administration of the Democrats in the legislature that I think you're going to see something different here. For the first time in a long time, uh, there's, there's a lot of groundswell. I'm picking up a lot of noise 
the legislature is getting a lot of noise over this this mountain lion issue. Even the Boulder newspaper wrote about how how much noise had been created by sportsmen of the state, and it's it's bigger than that. It's also agriculture, et cetera. So there's all these sort of coalitions, the the you know the 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 people coming together who are the enemies of this administration right now, which is a growing list. And they're saying we've had it, we've had enough, and and uh, so we'll see what happens in the in the uh, the next election. But it's uh, it's sh- shaking out to be something a little bit different than what we thought maybe a year ago. Well, I certainly love your phrase "ballot box biology," and I talk a lot about it in the show over the years. We we have professionals; they are trained to manage these resources, and and again, their their hands are tied, or worse than that, you know, they're they're totally just they rooted. They can't do anything, and and I think about what will happen in Colorado, Chris, if mountain lion hunting and trapping is is made illegal. You watch what happens to the elk populations and to the deer populations, and then you watch what happens to the economic impact on towns across the mountains of Colorado, regions of Colorado, when hunters don't come, and you, you have the vicious circle immediately of no resources to protect animals, and, and the very animals they thought they were protecting are now uh, being eaten by predators that are out of balance. It just makes no sense. Yeah, and, and hunting in, in Colorado is about a $3 billion a year industry. So it's, it's a highly sustainable. Populations are doing very well. Uh, it's well managed by the state agency. And, and so naturally you would have outside influences come in because of their animal rights agenda and ideology and circumvent that process, disrupt basically the legitimate process of wildlife management, science-based wildlife management in the state of Colorado. And look, it's not just happening here in Colorado. This is happening across other states in the West and beyond. So this is a, this is, this has been sort of a wake up call though. It's been real interesting to see just how active hunters have gotten on this one and they're coming together. And I think they're just finally saying enough and they're not alone. I mean, ag is saying the same thing, you know, the, the gun rights people are, are coming into this fray. So essentially, as you look at this on the political side, you go, all right, how many, how many groups can you disenfranchise in a state? before you finally run out of enough votes to win. And I think he's, I think our polis is rapidly reaching that. Well, we could talk for a long time, and it sounds to me, Chris, like there's going to be a second sagebrush revolution, but maybe not the way, the foundation of what the first one was, but the outcome might be the same. Thank you so much. I guess, Chris, we're not going to be able to talk about your efforts on IMAX and Wings Over Water, but we do come back shortly, and, and we'll talk about it. And thank you for all you do to inform so many people about what's taking place in the outdoors. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Charlie. Always good to be with you. This is Chris Dorsey, who is just a fabulous outdoor communicator. You've been listening to The Great Outdoors Show. This is Charlie Potter, your host on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.